All right, cool. Hey, before we even get in tonight, I want to do something a little different. So, Allie, Allison, Chelsea, and Jenna, and Jordan, if he was here, can y'all please stand up? Please stand up. Okay, guys, they got baptized this weekend, and it was the coolest thing. So let's give it up. Jordan, we love you. He's taking a quiz, but he'll be here. You guys can sit. So, guys, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal, and so we should definitely celebrate it. Um, so, welcome. I'm glad you guys are here. If you don't know me, um, Jeff did a great job introducing me. My name is Sean McEntee. Uh, I'm on staff with Chi Alpha, uh, and I moved up here a little over two years ago with my wife. She's back there at the computer, and uh, yes, she's hot, so yes, thank you for cheering. Um, we moved up here a little over two years ago because Jesus did something totally radical in our hearts, and we said, you know what, we're leaving Houston, Texas, and we're coming up to West Virginia because we believe that Jesus wants to see each one of you guys walk with him, and he wants to see the rest of this campus. And so we moved up here for that, and uh, we're super excited to be here. Um, now, like Jeff said, I love to learn. I love to talk about Jesus. Um, I really love to preach. I think it's it's one of the funnest things. And one of my favorite parts about preaching is the, pre the preparation. Um, so <laughs> this is cool. So God, right, like the dude who made everything and is like the sustainer of all, I asked him if he would help me write my sermon, and he did, which is so, it, it's like mind-blowing, right? And so God spoke to me, and I get the privilege of sharing with you guys what God spoke. And so I'm super pumped about tonight. I'm super pumped for what the Lord's going to do. So I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're just going to jump right in. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this uh, privilege to speak on your behalf. God, I am I'm weak. Uh, but I'm willing, Jesus, and uh, I just pray you'd use me. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts tonight. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, guys, I need your help, all right? Will you guys help me? Okay, if you don't help me, this is going to, this is going to, you, you, you said yes, so I'm holding you to it, all right? I'm going to ask you a very important question, and I need you guys to just shout out your answers to me, okay? So here's the question. What is something that was once universally cool, that is now universally lame. Great. Wow. Okay. One at a time. Fanny packs. Fanny packs. Uh, someone in this room is wearing a, <laughs> a fanny pack. Heelys. Right. Heelys are like the things that you, you slipped and fell. Okay. Let's. let's, let's <laughs> hey, I wear vests. Vests are still cool, man. What'd you say? Silly bands. Silly bands were stupid. Hey, reading is not dumb. Reading is cool. Huh? Heelys are still cool? No, they're not. <laughs> mustaches are not cool anymore. Full beards are cool, but not mustaches, right? What about, what else? MySpace? Butterfly tattoos. Those are not <laughs> anyone who has a butterfly tattoo. I'm sorry, it's not cool anymore, and you regret it. <laughs> what are you saying? Neopets? <laughs> Those little things? 
Oh, it's a computer. I don't know. <laughs> Learning is still cool. Okay, okay. Thank you, guys. Thank You went above and beyond what I asked for. So much so, I didn't hear 90% of what y'all said. Um, but thank you. Yeah, no one said MySpace probably because y'all are too young. Y'all were in, like, second grade. Okay, never mind. I'm sorry. I offended you. But here's a question. Who still uses MySpace? Oh, put your hands down. Put your hands down. No one uses MySpace. Okay, guys, so so all these things are really silly, right? Heelys and silly bands. I mean, Chelsea, wherever she's at, she told me she's, she used to have like 90 of them all of her arm, right? That's not cool. It was then, but it's not cool now, right? And so all of these things, they're they're stupid, they're silly, they're ridiculous, right? But the reason that I bring them up is because... Is as silly as they are, they they highlight a deeper truth of our society and, and our culture in the world around us. And it's this truth that that the world has some standards for what's cool and what, what makes you acceptable that are changing all the time, right? Like I mean he or silly bands is they they are they're they're silly, right? But they were there for like two months and then they were gone. Right? And like Things don't last in this world. These standards that they that you have to be accepted and to be cool, they go with the seasons, right? And they come and they go. What's hot in the streets one day is totally not cool the next day. Yes, I just said hot in the streets. I don't know why. <laughs> I do. Thank you. I don't. Um, but the standards of this world, they have they have a monopoly on what what we have to do or be like or have to have in order to be accepted, right? And and it's not just these silly little things, right? It's it I mean, there was a day not too long ago when it was admirable not to have sex until you got married or not to live with someone until you got married. And now, well, I mean, I've been told I was a prude for waiting until marriage. Right? And or or there was a time, you know, a little bit longer ago where alcohol and and tobacco was seen as something that degraded men and women. But now if you're not out on high street partying, well man, you're boring and and you're stuck up, right? Like like what what's what's called pure today is now oftentimes seen as oh, well you're just a righteous, you're self-righteous, I'm better than you type of person. And then if you're selfish and you push people and you stab people in the back, well, as long as you're doing you, then hey, praise you for that, right? And so this world, it, it, it's got these standards that are changing all the time, right? There's a million and one standards, and, and some of them don't even last for more than like five minutes. But the worst part, the worst part about the standards of this world is that they are apathetic of how you feel. They, this world doesn't care. It doesn't care how much money you spend to keep up with the latest fashion doesn't care about how much you time you pour into social causes and social justice. It doesn't care about the toll it takes on your body and your self-esteem as you try and make yourself look sexier and more appealing just so that someone will actually notice you. This world, it, it just demands more and more and more from you. And it never gives anything in return. And yet, we just, we go back to it. We, we come crawling back to its feet, and we say, well, well I just got to fit in, so I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to buy this. 
and we come back and we're utterly exhausted and we're utterly tired and we're absolutely worn out. So w- why? Why do why do we come back? I mean, I'm guilty of this. We we always go end up going back. Why do we do this? Why what what is what is so appealing about this? I mean, it keeps leaving us in our own self-pity. Is there really nothing else? These are some big questions, guys, and even as I was preparing this, there's a sting because it's like, man, how often do I do this? And and I know you guys feel this. You may not want to admit it, but you feel this. I mean, some of you guys, it's not even October yet, and you've been beaten around by the standards of this university and, and for the last 18 or 20 years by the standards of this world. You've just been pummeled around. Can this standard, this this one the world has to offer, can it really be the only standard. You know, our generation's a funny one. Um, we're like a we're like a bunch of hipsters, right? Even if you're not a hipster, you're you're a hipster because we all are like we're the misunderstood. No one understands me. Like, uh, come on, everyone said that at least once, right? Like, oh, my parents just don't understand me. Like, we're the misunderstood generation. No, w- but we we think that all our problems are the first problems, and no one else has ever gone through them. But that's just silly because we're just misinformed. This this problem, this this issue, these questions that I was asking, these are not new. This is not something that, like, just because of the technological advances that we face, right? This is something that has, I believe, has gone on as long as civilization has been around. And we could pick any number of of different civilizations to look at, but because, you know, we believe in the Bible, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say, and we're going to look at God's people, Israel, and how they dealt with this question. And so we're going to go on a quick little history tour. Oh, by the way, we're back in the book of Amos, as you can see. Um, Jordan spoke on it last week about the justice of God, and so we're jumping back in to look at how God is going to answer these questions, right, about what do we do with the world standards. And so put on your little uh, safety belts. We're going to go real quick. Um, This is important, but I'm excited too. So the book of Amos takes place in the 8th century B.C. Um, this was the same time that Rome was being established and Greece was being established. Um, there was, you know, infrastructure was being built throughout the world, roads, all these different things. The Olympic Games started in the 8th century, which is pretty cool. Um, Homer wrote the Iliad, and I know all of you love that book, right? Everyone, r- <laughs> I mean, I just can't think of 7th grade without how much fun I had reading the Iliad. Um but that was written in the 8th century, right? Um, city-states were being built. Uh, sex was being elevated to this, like, high regard. You know, if you were rich, you were, you were partying like crazy. It, w- it was, so the 8th century was a time of peace. There wasn't a lot of major wars going on. And all these, these large empires were being founded, right? And so then we look at God's country, this little tiny country, smack dab in the middle of the world's biggest countries. And it's like, okay, well, what's going on with them, right? And so you look at Israel, and, you know, if you compare them to the rest of the world, well, man, they're, they're doing good too, right? They're right there with them. But if you compare them to God, it's like, well, no, they're not doing good, right? Like, like if you, like, scale a 1 to 10, they're like a 2. Like, they're the little booger symbol on Rotten Tomatoes where you're like, I'm definitely not going to see that movie. Like, they are bad, right? Like, these dudes are bad, and they're so bad in God's sight because – like Jordan said last week, Israel was called to be a country 
that was supposed to be different from everyone else. They were supposed to be a country that represented God to the world. And here they are, looking exactly like the world, right? So, so just to give you an example of what it was like for them, um, and all of this is in Amos, if you go read through the story, you can see all these different things that they're doing. And so just like, just a mental picture of what it was like. So you got these like Jewish dudes that are riding to the temple, and they're like, they're riding on their camels with like gold-plated seating and like, you know, chrome hooves on their horse, or on their camel. They got like, you know, Louis Vuitton, like headdresses and Max Comfort Ultra Plush desert sandals with like $80 wine. And they're like, I'm going to get on my camel, right? Like they want, they are hoping that they are going to be like, they're like, they're the hot stuff. They're, like status symbols was everything to them. And, and they became an affluent society. And if you know anything about affluent societies, which reality check, you live in one, um, financial scandals, Bribery, corruption, lack of justice, all these things abounded, right? And, and like Jordan talked about last week, there was a significant lack of justice, right? The, the guilty could get off because they could pay the judges, and the innocent would go to jail because they didn't have enough money to pay them off. And the social life was terrible in Israel. I mean, in the world's eyes, it was great, but in, in, in God's eyes, it was terrible. And then you get to their religious life, right? Like, this is, they're called God's people, so surely their religious life should be good, and I mean, religious life was booming. It just, it just wasn't the religion of their their fathers, right? So there was this religion that that was focused on Mother Earth and the fertility gods and the creation over the Creator. And then sex was elevated so that worship became about going to the temple and sleeping with some prostitute, right? And that's how you worshipped God. And so then you had people showing up in droves because like, well, sure, I'm going to worship God. I get to have sex, you know, like. And all of these things are happening, and God is saying, listen, you're, you were supposed to be different. You were supposed to be different. You were supposed to show the world what I look like, but you look exactly like them. And so God was, he was upset. And he, but God is a cool God. He's, when he's upset, he doesn't just leave it there. He goes about and does something, and he wants to change things. And so this is just a side note. I've heard people say, a lot of times, um, oh, well, the Bible's not relevant for today. The Bible's not. It, it doesn't have anything to say. And then I look at this, and I look at them, and I'm like, God, it sounds a lot like us. And then I'm like, well, how, how is this not relevant? But that's a side note. Just wanted to throw that in. Um, but, yeah, so God is going to do something, right? And so, so he does. So he sends this nobody who's like a tree farmer, whatever that means, and he sends him to this massive country compared to where he came from. And he says, go and tell them what I have to say, that they need to change. They need to stop living like the world or I'm going to I'm have to do something about it. I'm going to have to step in and stop them. And so God speaks to this little man, Amos. And Amos, um, the book of Amos, is it's just a collection of sermons and visions and all these things. And so what we're reading tonight is a collection of visions that Amos had from God. And so it's in Amos chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, and this is what it reads. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, God was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When the locusts had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this and said, It shall not be. 
This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and the fire devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this and said, This also shall not be. Right, and so so this first part, as I'm reading, it's like, oh, dang. So God is like, here's a bunch of bugs, and they're going to go eat up everything, and they're not going to have any food. And then Amos is like, no, God, please don't. He's like, all right, I won't. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to send some fire, and I'm going to burn everything up. And he's like, no, please don't. And if you're like me, and you're reading this, you're like, well, that's escalating quickly, right? And you're like, what is going to happen next? Like, is God going to have Amos, like, grab a sword and, like, have a lion by his side and say, like, repent or be eaten? Like, what? Like, I'm reading this, and I'm like, this is, how is this going to get worse? Like, God's about to make Am- have Amos go ham on the Israelites. But that's not what God shows him. And in the, the, this third vision, this is, this is what he's, he shows Amos. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, and he had a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So first, God says, locusts. And then he's like, no, I'm not. Then he says, fire. He's like, no, I'm not. And then he says this. Let me pull it up so you can see it. Scary, right? Like, really scary. Like, do you, like, swing it around and hit people in the head with it or something? <laughs> no, it's not that cool. Um this is what God calls a plumb line. Now, is there anyone in this room who knows what a plumb line is and what it does? Yeah. Absolutely. Right on. A plumb line is used for construction, right? And so the way it works is that you've got this thing called the plumb bob, which is a really funny name, but it's a plumb bob. It's the, the silver thing, right? And so the, what it does is it hangs, and there's this really cool new thing called gravity. Um, and, it, and the way it works is that it, it, it pulls things to the center of the universe. Kind of pulls. But gravity affects the weight of the plumb bob, and whenever it's touching the ground, it makes a perfectly straight line. And so you can build according to this perfectly straight line. It's always going to be straight because of the way that gravity affects it, right? And so construction is one way that a plumb, bob I- a plumb line is used, but... It's also used for destruction. And so the way it works for destruction is that you go up to an already existing building and then you hold it up. And if it's straight, it's like, oh, cool. But if it's crooked, well, I mean, if you've ever lived in a crooked house, it sucks and it's going to fall over one day, right? And so what God says with this plumb line, with the destruction aspect, um, is that he's actually going to come in and he's going to hold up his plumb line against his people Israel. It's going to say, are you crooked or are you straight? Right? And if you're, if you're straight, well, great. But if you're crooked, the only way to fix a crooked building is to knock it down and then build it back up. Right? And so what we see, what God is showing through the plumb line, is he's showing us symbolically his righteousness. 
God is saying literally to the Israelites and to us today that he is going to hold his plumb line up to us. He's going to see whether we're straight or whether we're crooked. And if we're crooked, well, he's going to have to do something about that. He's going to have to knock it down. Right? You see, and if you know the story of the Bible, then you know that, that um, that's what happens. Right? So Israel, they don't obey. They hear Amos' visions. They don't listen. And so they end up getting cast into exile for 70 years, right? And so God has an entire generation die off so that he can build up a new generation, right? And so that's, that's exactly what he had to do, though it didn't look like a physical building. That's how he went about it. You see, God's deepest problem with Israel, the reason why he had to do this in the first place, was that they looked like the world when they were supposed to look like him. Now, as you might have guessed, the definition for righteousness, it literally just means to be upright in comparison to a standard. So when we talk about being righteous before God, we're just talking about being upright in comparison to his standard, right? In, in comparison to his standard. We're, we're talking about the standards God has set. But what are God's standards? what does it actually look like to be upright before him, right? Like a lot of people might say, ah, oh, well, the Ten Commandments, are those are his standards, right? Or they'd say, oh, well, no, it's the whole Mosaic Law. That's God's standards. And then other people say, well, no, nah, it's, the, it's the Sermon on the Mount. You've got to live the Sermon on the Mount. And then others are like, well, let's, let's get simpler, right? Love God, love people. And everyone, uh, the, there's all these different ideas, right, that people have. But for the sake of this question, let's just, let's just say that God's standard is the, the Sermon on the Mount, Okay. So whether you know the whole Sermon on the Mount or you have a vague idea of it, how many of you would say that you would want to live by those standards, right? Like, raise your hand if you think you'd want to live by the standards of the Sermon on the Mount. No one? Interesting. I got a couple people. Some of the things I'll just give you an idea, right, like, Love those who hurt you. Give to those who are in need. Right, like a bunch of different things. Give without people seeing. Pray without people knowing. Fast without people knowing. These are, it's interesting. I thought a lot of you would raise your hands, but. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to. <laughs> Glenna was brave. Glenna, I'll ask you. Sorry to put you on the spot. Do you really want to live up to those standards? You want to let people, someone hit you on the face, and you're just going to turn the other cheek. You want to let, for, you want to forgive people who've wronged you and hurt you, who are never going to come to you and say, I'm sorry. You want to let someone else run your life. I think you do. You want to want that. That's a very honest answer. Guys, I'm not asking this question to be mean or to to say, "Hey, you're you know you're not a good Christian if you're not trying to live up to these live up to these things." I'm just trying to point out that that God, He has some incredibly high standards, and they are hard standards. But maybe this is just me. If if they weren't, I don't know if He'd be worthy of being even called God. You see, the Bible, it gives us this symbolic image, right? It gives us this plumb line to show us what righteousness 
actually looks like. The weight is affected by gravity, right? The weight of the bob is affected by gravity. And in this, we see a glimpse of God himself, right? God has a weight and a force that affect his righteousness, his holiness, and his character. Time and time again have proven that he's good and so that he is actually able to be the standard of what is good. His righteousness and his standard, it's a firm, unmoving, unchanging aspect. And you know, oh, that fell. <laughs> I saw it in the corner of my eye. Um, but the world standards, like we saw at the beginning, they're different, right? They're always moving. They're always changing. Every, every five minutes, it seems like there's something new. And, uh, you know, I was reading in Amos, and I was like, well, God, that's really cool that you, you know, you gave us this plumb line as a, sam- a symbol. What about, what about uh, the world? Is there like a standard for the world? And so I started reading, and I was in like, you know, Second Hesitations, which isn't a book of the Bible. Some people caught that. Um, but I, I, I couldn't find any symbol in the Bible. And that doesn't mean it's not there. But, <laughs> but, like I said at the beginning, I asked God, I said, God, would you help me write this sermon? And he did. And so I said, God, what's a symbol? What's a symbol for the world's righteousness? That. The world's most deadly, stupid thing. Okay, listen. How many people have been driving on the highway and you're like, oh, look at that. Ah! Like, you know what I mean? Like, those things are death traps. They're the worst. And they're stupid. And they, you, they're, they're just the worst. These stupid, wacky, waving, inflatable two-bar men, right? Like, I hate these things. I hate seeing them. But, look, that's what we talked about at the beginning, That's what the world's righteousness looks like. It's here one second, and the next it's over there, and it's flailing, and it's moving, and you're trying to catch up. If I tried to catch, look at, (laughs) you can't do it. The worst part is that you can't even predict it. You don't even know where it's going next. This thing is ridiculous, and that's what the world's standards look like. That's what the righteousness of the world looks like. Trying to go after this thing. It's always changing. It never stays in one position. You can't even predict where it's going. The world has one standard, and God has another. And they are distinctly opposed, so much so that it is impossible to live up to one and at the same time living up to the other. But which one do we live up to? Which one is better? It would, it would be very foolish to think that we could live up to both. Because you see, the truth about righteousness is that you can only be upright in comparison to one standard. You can only be upright in comparison to one standard. So, but, but why should we want God's righteousness, right? Like, why is his better than the world's? I mean, yeah, the world's is kind of this, like, endless chase, but it's fun, right? Like, God's kind of seems boring, and I feel like I'm going to be, like, a stiff, boring person if I follow God's. Like, what, what is so special about living up to God's righteousness, in five days is a very special day to me. I will be six years old spiritually. I gave my life to Jesus six years ago in five days at a, at a fall advance. And if there's anything that I've learned as I've walked with God, it's that his righteousness is infinitely better than even the best that this world has to offer. 
You see, to live according to the world's righteousness means that at best, you're going to survive. And even then, you're it's just going to barely make it. And it's going to come with a lot of costs and a lot of baggage. On the outside, all will seem fine, but inwardly your life's going to be a tro- total train wreck. It's that it's the stupid the stupid dude, right? Like you're exhausted trying to chase this guy. And you're always going after it and you're trying to please someone and you never get pleased and you're trying to grab a hold and it's like catching the wind, you can't do it. And then at the end of the day or at the end of your life, what do you even have to show for it? But to live right in God's eyes, up to his righteousness, It doesn't just mean you'll survive. It actually means that you will thrive and that you will have a fulfilled life. And uh, and it's the only way that I've I've come to to, to believe and to experience that it's the only way to actually have a fun and fulfilled life that doesn't come at the cost of your dignity. It doesn't come with any baggage. You see, to stand upright with God in comparison to his plumb line, yeah, it means your back may be a little stiff sometimes because you're always trying to stand up straight, right? But at least it won't be broken trying to follow that thing. Do you want a stiff back or a broken back? God, in his wisdom and his mercy, knows what is actually best for us. Living upright in comparison to his unmoving standard may seem on the outside like it's boring, but then if that's, the, if that's the case, you haven't experienced it. I've <laughs> I have not one day regretted the choice to walk with God, and I have not had as much fun in the previous 18 years than I have had in the last six. Nothing came close. And you know what's great is I don't have to regret any of the fun I've had. And I can be accepted. God knows what is best for each and every one of us. And he knows that, and so he tells us, choose my righteousness, choose my standards. But then this leaves us with the final question. How? How are we actually supposed to live up to God's standards? The band, you guys can come up. How are we supposed to live upright to God's standards? Right? Even if, even if you're at this point where you're like, okay, I get it, God's standards are better. But how do I do it? How do I do this practically? Like, are, like, are you guys all supposed to go to Lowe's tomorrow and buy one of these and then, like, walk around campus and be like, yes, I'm living upright to God. Like, <laughs> look at me. And then your classmates are like, I'm going to sit over here. <laughs> right? Like, no, you'd, we'd all be a bunch of crazy cuckoo people if we did that, right? Like, you're not going to go buy one of those. Plus, they're expensive. Um, so I don't want you to have to do that. But... <laughs> What do we do? How do we live, right? If not the plumb line, then what? Well, gratefully and thankfully for us, God thought of that and answered 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ. God went so far to show us what it looks like to be righteous that he actually became flesh and blood. Listen, the king of the universe, the God, the, the God who created everything and sustains it all, God himself became a man just to show you and me what it looks like to be right before him. Did you know that the Bible says that Jesus is the righteousness of God? That is a title for him, the righteousness of God. He is the very epitome 
of righteousness. And it, he, he is this plumb line. Jesus is the plumb line. He's the true and greater plumb line. He's the plumb line that we can compare ourselves to. We can stand our lives next to us. We don't have to compare to this dumb thing. We can compare our lives to Jesus and see, does our life live up? And what's so cool is that because Jesus was a man, his life isn't unobtainable. It's not some, some high and holy life that you or I can't ever go after. Jesus was tempted. Jesus knew what it was like to have the world come rushing in on him and say, hey, if you want to be accepted, do this. If you want to be cool, if you want people to look at you, do this. He knew what it was like. He felt that. But, God, but Jesus said, no, I'm going to live upright to my father's standards. And because he lived his entire life like that, he became the very righteousness of God. Because God was a man and he showed us how to live, we being men and women can actually live a life like that. We don't have to try and live up to these unobtainable standards. We don't have to chase after the wind. We don't have to be exhausted and worn out. There is another standard that is worth living up to. But, this is a big but. Just let that sit for a sec. Sorry. But, the only way you or I will ever be able to live a righteous life is if we know the one who is called the righteousness of God. And the only way we will know him is if we come to him. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There are many of you in this room. I know you're weary and you're heavy laden and you're worn out and you're tired of trying to live up to the stupid world standards. That stupid thing. Don't put it back up. But you guys are tired of it, right? Jesus doesn't want you tired and worn out. He doesn't want you broken and crushed. He wants to give you peace and rest in life. He wants to restore you and heal you. You see, God's righteousness, his burden, it is light and it will not break your back. But you have to come to him in order for this to happen. Jesus is calling us to a higher standard. He's calling us to his righteousness. And as we come to him, as we read the Bible, as we pray, as we get near uh, what you said earlier about the fellowship, as you're around your friends, you start to see, wow, that's how he lived his life. That's what Jesus' life looked like. And that's what my life should look like. If you're in this room tonight and you don't know Jesus and you are weary and you're tired, you're tired of chasing after this, the standards of this world, then I encourage you, come to Jesus and take him at his word that he will give you rest. In the six years I've been walking with God, I've never once regretted it and he's always been faithful to that promise. And I believe that if you come to him even tonight, he will give you rest and if you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus then I encourage you to ask God to hold his plumb line up next to you Jesus and say Jesus does my life line up to yours and then be willing to say Jesus where it doesn't please knock it down and build something beautiful 
in its place. Guys, Jesus is calling us. He's calling us to a higher standard because he knows that it is the best thing for our lives. So I'm going to pray, and then would you respond? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for... Thank you for speaking to us, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that, that we would be honest with ourselves tonight. Let this time of response be be us and you. God, I pray for humility in all of us. I pray none of us would be too high on our horses to say, oh, I, don't, I don't need to ask you this. But I pray that you would do something in our hearts, Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. Let us hear from you. Let us feel your presence. Speak to us in this time of worship. We love you, Jesus. I pray this in your name.